Hello, my friends in Rotterdam. This is Doug Saunders. I'd like to thank you all for coming out to this event tonight and especially express my gratitude for you for considering Arrival City, my book, uh, as something worth discussing in the context of Rotterdam. It's very flattering to me to have uh, a city whose, whose ideas and inventiveness I respect as much as Rotterdam, uh, considering what I'm talking about. And I certainly look forward to the opportunity to spend more time there and to see firsthand some of the things you're doing. I must apologize for my absence tonight. Uh, unfortunately, it is the nature of my other job that crucial news events uh, have to take me away from any other obligations. But let's talk about Arrival City. The topic behind it is the central question, how do we make the transition from a mud floor to the middle class? How do we move from subsistence level village agricultural life to connection into an established urban culture and economy? I think this is a crucial question because the majority of the world are at some point on this transition right at the moment. And this is the century when the rest of the world will undergo the urban transition that our countries did in the last two centuries. What I'm arguing is that it's neighborhoods like this, transitional urban neighborhoods, bottom rung landing pad neighborhoods, what I'm calling arrival cities that are crucial to this transition. This one here, it's called Liu Gongli in the giant city of Chongqing, China, self-built by the former villages who moved in there, is the site of an incredible amount of economic activity, linking it both back to its originating village and into the core economy. As you can see, the population movements behind this shift are huge. The lines on the bottom that you're seeing slowly moving up toward 70, 80, 90 percent urbanization are Africa and Asia, uh, which by the end of this century will have a level of urbanization converging with that of our own countries. In other words, hundreds of millions of people are on the move at the moment. This isn't just changing the cities of the developing world. It's also propelling the largest shifts of migration from North Africa, Eastern Europe, and South and Central America into North America and Europe at the moment. Countries don't really immigrate to other countries. What happens almost everywhere is that individual villages or clusters of villages migrate to specific urban neighborhoods or streets or collections of streets, what I'm calling the arrival city. Rotterdam is full of such clusters. The Turks who come tend to be from specific sets of villages in central Anatolia and the southeast. The Moroccans who come tend to be from certain villages in the northern reef area. Even the Poles who come tend to be from certain parts of uh, Silesia, the southeast, and areas around Gdansk. Specific clusters of villages. The arrival cities in the West look different from those in the developing world, of course. They often weren't built to be arrival cities. This one is one you're no doubt familiar with. This is Slotovart in Amsterdam, uh, famous for having cultivated uh, a terrorist attack that dominated your country's politics for many years and in many respects still does. It wasn't built for new arrivals moving in. It was built like many of the new arrival cities of Europe 
for people moving out from what was thought in the 1950s and 60s to be the undesirable central city. As such, it's very ill-designed for the life of a new arrival. There's a, there's a rule that I think is almost universal, which is that the thing that makes a place an arrival city, the thing that makes its property values so much lower than anywhere else in the city, is usually also the thing that makes it fail as an arrival city when it does. In other words, it serves as a good bottom rung on the ladder because it's cheap, but whatever made it cheap prevents it from having the next two rungs on the ladder into urban success. Perhaps it's a, a place like Sao Paulo or Caracas where it's cheap because it's the housing is built up and down the side of a cliff, or like Mumbai where it's b built on the edge of an international airport or, or train line, or like so many of the arrival cities of Southeast Asia where it's built on stilts over a sewage lagoon. But in the West, it's often because it's physically isolated from the core city because it lacks the transportation links to make it part of the economy. Or it has a type of housing that's very ill-suited to the thing that new immigrants do. And that thing is to start a small business, a shop, a restaurant, even a small factory within your residential area. These buildings are very poorly designed for that. They're also very far apart. They don't have the population density that you need in order to have the kind of economic activity. And customers from the main city are not going to be coming here to shop in any shops that you are somehow able to create and so on. It's, it's physically designed for low density and relaxation, not for high concentrations of population that make for good urban life. As you can see, the empty concrete squares behind, between the buildings become lonely places. If you, people have several hours to drive or to take the bus to work and back every day, they find that their children are left with these concrete courtyards as the main source of childcare. And it's no surprise if they form gangs and so on. So while there were many factors at play in Slotovart, I'm arguing in Arrival City that is, it's an example of a place that was to some degree shaped in its fate by the physical form of the buildings in the city. As such, it's interesting to see what some of the housing cooperatives of Amsterdam have done. They've removed those types of buildings, which as you could see from the satellite dishes were easier to link to the originating countries of their residents than they were to link to the core city, and replaced them with something very different, with a type of building and a type of street that resembles more the successful arrival city neighborhoods of North America and uh, the Anglo-American world. This looks like Lower East Side in New York or Spadina Avenue in Toronto or even Brick Lane in London. Straight grid streets, tall buildings clustered close together to allow for a high population density, easy access of customers to the businesses, and most importantly... The lower two floors of the buildings can be used for commercial, residential, or sometimes even light industrial uses, both by the up-and-coming immigrant middle class and by people from the established city coming in, artists and uh, creative people and technical people, who provide a social mix, who provide an established middle class in the neighborhood that provides employment, it provides models for success, it provides success in schooling and so on. We don't know if this Slotervard example is going to be a success yet. It's too new. But it's an interesting example of how to deal with some of the problems of 
poorly designed arrival city neighborhoods. Let me turn, though, to a place south on the train line from you. This is Antwerp. Specifically, this is the 2060 district, the postal district that's just north of the train station and the diamond district that is now home to very large concentrations of Moroccans, Turks, black Africans, Eastern Europeans. It's a very multi-ethnic area. And I spent several weeks visiting there late last year at the request of the mayor to see what makes it work and what makes it not work as an arrival city. The first impression that someone like me gets when walking into a neighborhood like this is that it's quite nice. The housing is nice design, even if the upkeep isn't always great. The streets are tightly clustered and friendly to shoppers and easily accessible from the central city. The transportation links are excellent. There's a very good tramline public transportation system. And the city has put in all sorts of amenities, a modern library, some excellent parks, uh, and has invested in all sorts of social programs, ranging from specific ethnic community programs to youth training programs to even uh, a program to provide slaughter of sheep during the Eid holiday and so on. Very controversial move, but an indication of a very activist city. But still, there's frustration that an entire generation seems to have fallen down in this neighborhood, that the integration that their parents experienced when arriving in 2060 from other parts of the world is not being passed on, especially to the sons. There's almost a lost generation who are not achieving the same educational success, who are sometimes falling into perpetual unemployment and benefit dependency or drug dealing or other forms of undesirable activity. During the last year, there have been three or four violent incidents involving inter-ethnic conflict between uh, far-right gangs and immigrants, between Anatolian Turks and Kurdish Turks, between Moroccans and Turks, and so on, that have given this neighborhood a reputation as a place where you simply don't go. Yet when I looked at it, I thought, this in many ways resembles uh, what the eastern London uh, Bangladeshi quarters of Whitechapel, Spitalfields, and Brick Lane resembled in the mid-1980s when I first lived there. Dangerous place, drug gangs, religious extremism. You didn't go there at night. You tried to avoid it by day as well. Somehow in the 25 years after that point, that London neighborhood with a similar immigrant profile has turned around and has become the place where business people from the banks want to go for lunch, where artists want to set up galleries, and where you have a healthy mix of middle-class people and -and up-and-coming immigrants who've become one of the more successful integration stories. Is it possible that this neighborhood in 25 years could come this way? And I think, yes, it, it could. But I did see some barriers to success that all of the immigrants I spoke to seemed well aware of, but the city didn't seem willing to address. The first is a set of barriers to small business success. Most new immigrants want to start a shop or something like that 
although the number that actually do so is usually small, even in the most successful arrival city neighborhoods, maybe one family out of 20 actually become entrepreneurs. But even this one out of 20 is enough to inspire a great degree of success in a neighborhood. Those business-owning families employ people in the neighborhood. They provide economic activity that helps other people. Their success produces network effects that can help the other people around them. And there are a lot of people here who wanted to start businesses, but in the Belgian system, I don't know about the Dutch system on this, but in the Belgian system, it, there are barriers to starting small businesses. There are very strict rules as to how it should be designed and what amenities are needed. And uh, there is actually a business diploma that's needed if you want to run a business after a year uh, that is a fairly simple formality for established Belgian people, but uh, is quite a barrier for a new immigrant who maybe has just learned the language or is just learning it, uh, and so on. There are too many rules and too much difficulty uh, in an area that should be a fairly free area of business. There also was a lack of promotion. Um, I always thought there, there should be something making people who get off the train excited about this neighborhood. Come to Handelstraat, come to the 2060 district, which is full of interesting ethnic shops and restaurants and cafes and so on. There should have been signs saying, come here, come to this exciting street, uh, and promoting it. And there wasn't anything like that. I, I could almost imagine that one solution would be to have it an area where a lot of the rules of business don't apply. Even things that Europeans might be attached to, like uh, uh, hygiene rules and so on, uh, to allow something like a souk going on in the neighborhood, a very informal business community, but also some help in making the business attractive to outsiders. But even more important than small business is policing and security. This is something, whenever you ask immigrants who live in arrival cities, municipal authorities are always disappointed to hear when they're asked what their top priorities are for the neighborhood, that it's never parks or community centers or the things that cities feel proud of. It, more often than not, is security. Now, this is a complex idea because what is meant by security to the new immigrant is not always the same thing. It often involves fairly elemental fears for the safety of one's daughters and uh, family and so on in a modernizing setting that's difficult. But it often also does mean pure policing and security, because the things that make established urbanites frightened of the new immigrant neighborhood usually make the new immigrants even more frightened of their own neighborhood and so on. Uh, a lot of drug trade had moved out of Rotterdam into Antwerp during as that trade was cleaned up in Rotterdam and and the, and Belgium went through its period without a national government and and uh it landed in neighborhoods like this that had always been troubled drug neighborhoods and so on but the new immigrants and their children who had dropped out of school early uh picked up the trade a lot and i found that there's an absence throughout europe of a real concept of community-based policing. It's a, it's a concept that gets discussed a lot, uh, but the pure idea of having a semi-autonomous police force whose members are drawn from the ethnic groups that occupy a neighborhood still is far beyond the imagination of most national police forces. So what they got was a sort of hybrid here where they had a special police force, but it was simply officers from the national force who'd agreed to serve here in 2060 for a period. And they quickly grew alienated and unhappy that they weren't communicating with people, that they were arresting the same people over and over again and so on. 
And as one of the handful of Moroccans on the force told me, uh, if we had a force of 50 officers who were drawn from the Moroccans and Turks and Africans in this community, we'd be able to clean up the drug problem in six months. And I think that's something that's true in many of these neighborhoods. And actually drawing policing from within them can be an important solution. But I th my conclusion was that even more important than policing in a place like this is schooling and education. And to understand that, you have to understand what happens to neighborhoods like this. In their first years, uh, in this case in the 1970s and early 1980s, the first group of immigrants who arrive here have a reasonable degree of success in education because they're the uh, part of a small group of Moroccans or Turks in a school that still was largely Belgian in its classes and therefore had a lot of students who knew and their parents knew the pathways to university and things like this. And that schooling worked for them and some of them had some success. They started businesses that were successful. The problem with arrival cities is that very often when people are successful, they move out. And this can create some illusions. It, can, it makes the poverty rate look worse than it is because the people who succeed are moving out, but they've often been able to buy their houses during the first generation, so they rent out their houses to new arrivals, and they'll often rent a house that had had one up-and-coming family to three or four very poor new families. So the success of the neighborhood at integrating people is reflected in a poverty rate that actually is increasing. And it's very important to understand this distinction because there's a difference between poverty created by people moving through a neighborhood and those who are stuck there. But another problem evolves with schooling when this happens because those people move out, the successful immigrants move out, and the established, in this case Belgian people, move out. And you're left with a neighborhood that is only the newest immigrants and so on. And because of the way schooling is structured in much of Europe, that means the schools will attract the worst teachers and they will start to develop a spiral of downward uh, success. In other words, the Moroccans and so on are streamed into the non-university bound education streams at an early age and they are given many, many incentives to drop out of school at the earliest possible age. The whole school system almost seems designed to do this. And I do end up concluding that a lot of the things that happen in European secondary education do need to change. There is still practice of streaming people at a very early age, at maybe 11 or 12 years of age, into a university-bound stream or a technical stream, which is not good for the immigrant child who might not fully form uh, those sort of decisions until age 18. And even worse, there's still what's called the cascade system, where if you perform very poorly in a year, you're held back and you repeat the year, which may provide incentives for success for native-born students, but for second-generation immigrants, they create a great disincentive because instead of moving up through the years with your peer group, you're being punished and sent behind, and this is almost giving you a powerful incentive to drop out as soon as possible. It would be worth adopting the Anglo-American methods of team teaching uh, and multi-level teaching, 
where you have more than one teacher in a given classroom who are teaching at several education levels within the same cohort. That has been proven to work well for mixed immigrant and native-born communities. And I think there needs to be an intervention in the form of education in many of these neighborhoods as well, because as well as having decent schools, what these places need is a social mix, as I've shown in other neighborhoods here. And when I looked at 2060 in Antwerp, I really thought this is a place that is very close to having a beneficial social mix. It has the right sort of housing. It has the amenities and the location that would be just right to attract a middle class and to keep the middle class who are emerging from the immigrant communities. And a school would be central to that, not just a school that's up to the levels of uh the rest of the city, but that's much above the level. It's worth an investment sometimes in a neighborhood like this, as we've seen some British authorities do, to put a school that is far, far above the quality level of the rest of the school system so that the immigrants within the neighborhood are competing to get into the educational system rather than competing to get out of it. And I can foresee a situation where if there's some interventions not expensive ones, but careful ones in small business assistance, policing and security, and uh, education, and some efforts to create a social mix, and perhaps a target school. That this could, and neighborhoods like it across this part of Europe, could become the sort of successful places that will be remembered in future generations as the place where people want to get off the train and go to rather than stay away from. Thank you very much.